0: Uh, if you're wondering, uh, this is Pentecost. This is the day uh, that the Spirit descended on the church uh, and made the church. Um, we covered Mark that the disciples were just uh, a bunch of. Well, they were they were, they were sad. They were sad and pathetic. And then Pentecost happened, and they became the apostles. And my goodness, here we are. And and it's because of the Holy Spirit. And now, being largely reformed people, I know some of you might even. <laughs> Yeah, who's the Holy Spirit? I'm sorry. <laughs> I can take shots at my own people like that. But but who is he? Right? And I remember when I was first a Christian, uh, one of the first books I read as a Christian was a book by Spurgeon, and I was shocked to find out that the Holy Spirit was a person and not an it. Uh, and I have not ceased to be uh, astounded by the Holy Spirit ever since. So what we're going to be talking about today is the God with us. The God with us. Now. For a text, um, technically it's going to be pretty much every verse in the New Testament that has the word spirit in it, Um, so (laughs) try to hold on as we, uh, I tried to make it like the spirit, right? We don't know, it's like the wind, we don't know where he's going, where he's been. So before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for your spirit that has descended upon us, and we hardly understand him, though we owe everything to him. We pray, God, that as we open your word now, that um, as you did 2,000 years ago, that you would rend heaven and pour your spirit on us again, that we would be light and salt, that we would be life, that we would be full of, of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the spirit, and that we would be powerful, uh, spiritually powerful in this physical world like Christ was. And, and, and may we understand that it is by the spirit that we would be thus, and that is, that is our calling, and Lord God, may we comprehend it, and may we go from here, not just understanding it in our minds, but living it out in our everyday lives. We thank you, and we praise you, and amen. Now, at Jesus' trial, he said something very interesting to Pontius Pilate. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the, from the world. So Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not from this world. And so his servants do not fight to prevent his fate. If he was the kind of king that you have in this world, his soldiers would have rose up and would have done everything they possibly could do to prevent his fate from happening to him. What he is not saying here is, is that his kingdom is unconcerned with this world. This verse is used in this way to over and hyper-spiritualize things as if God uh, is not concerned with stuff revelations 11 i'm sorry revelations <laughs> my dad is laughing because i always give him a hard time it's so revelation eleven fifteen. 15 this is what it says then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of god the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our god see jesus is very much concerned with with physical stuff. He's very concerned with the kingdoms of this world, but his kingdom originates elsewhere. His originates in heaven, in the spiritual realm, and he invaded this world uh, in order to claim it, in order to take it, in order to wrest it from the strong man and plunder it and make it his own. He is very much concerned with stuff, but stuff is not how he does it. He doesn't conquer with swords. He does not conquer with pieces of paper. He does not conquer with court, uh, court decisions, um, with constitutions. He doesn't. He conquers by the Spirit. Now, will he use a constitution? Will he use a court decision? Will he use a person? Will he use a sword? Will he use a gun? Yes. But, but what, what happens to us is we get very confused here, and we, and we create these two worlds spiritual world and physical world, and we believe, as moderns, that they don't have anything to do with one another. We barely comprehend this one, the spiritual realm, and we like to think that it has nothing to do with this over here, the physical realm. Now, what we have to understand is this is the realm that Jesus came to conquer, but he's not doing it, right? His primary weapon is not stuff. His primary weapon is the spirit. Jesus didn't tell Pilate his kingdom is immaterial. The earth in its fullness belong to Jesus. Jesus isn't so spiritual and high-minded that he doesn't care about stuff. If flesh was the problem, the Lord God would not have descended and become incarnate in flesh. He would have never done that. If the problem was flesh, he would have had no part of it. But what he wants to do is he wants to redeem the flesh. And so, right, he descends, and, bec- and the word of God becomes flesh, and the spirit descends upon him, and he therefore goes out, and conquers this world, but he does it by the power of the Spirit. Jesus has conquered this world and is bringing it under his administration, country by country, tribe by tribe, tongue by tongue, and the plunder of the house are the riches and wonders of this world. Jesus wants to own the Eiffel Tower. He does. He wants to own the Grand Canyon. He wants to own the amber waves of grain and the Catskills and the Cascades, He wants to own your home and my home and every home in this neighborhood. But what he has not, right, he's not going to walk through this door, start handing out swords, and tell us to go and take it. And this is where it is so difficult for us to understand even what is going on in the Christian life. The spiritual realm of heaven has descended. It has taken on flesh and is conquering the physical world with the spirit indwelt flesh. That's what it's doing. He descended, took on flesh, and now what he's doing is he sends his spirit down to indwell flesh to conquer this world. John chapter 8, verse 23. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now that's a reference to the fall because those were the three stages there that Eve went through in being tempted by the apple. Desires of the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That is not from heaven, that is from earth. That is from this world. That is from Satan, that is from rebellion, that is from every one of us and what we ultimately want. The power of Jesus's kingdom is spiritual. The nature of his kingdom is spiritual. What Jesus means is that he is conquering the physical world by the Spirit. Spiritual food, spiritual weapons, spiritual beings and bodies of flesh being fruitful and productive as they take dominion by the Spirit over their environment in the name of Christ. Now let's think about this for a moment. We hold up bread and we hold up wine and spiritually it means something. We open a physical book and it only means something because the Spirit is working through it. This is what I'm talking about. Does he use physical things? Yes. But what's the power in the physical thing? Is it the thing itself? Right? I've done this before. Years ago, it was kind of awkward. I I took this and I threw it down the aisle here, or against the wall. I can't really remember what I did. But I was trying to prove a point that this, technically, is nothing. Right? This is just an old cow butt that they wrapped some paper with. You know? That's all it is. This is just hide with paper and ink. What makes it powerful? What makes it meaningful in any way, shape, or form? It's the same thing. I bought the bread down here from Costco. Right? I mean that's and it actually isn't even baked. It looks baked, it's fake. It's just a prop. Right? It's literally I buy it and we throw it away, I don't even care. But but what so what's its power? Why do I go through all that time to go to Costco to purchase it? Why do we have it on this nice looking silver plate here in the middle of this room? right? It's not that the physical world doesn't matter. It's that the physical world is being conquered by the Spirit. Now, (laughs) because God really wanted you to learn as much from the sermon as possible, he wanted to demonstrate to you this week what the kingdoms of the world look like. And what do the kingdoms of the world look like? Well, we turn on our TV, and we see jackbooted thugs commissioned by the state to carry a gun, in in order to protect and serve, and kneeling down on the neck of a cuffed man until his life ebbs away from him. That is what the kingdom of the world looks like. You see masked thugs invading a peaceful protest with Molotov cocktails and rocks. That's what the kingdoms of this world look like. You see the leader of the free world throwing a Twitter tantrum. Doesn't he have better things to do with his time? I'm nervous for all of us. Right, that so much time this week could be spent talking about Twitter <laughs> and how it's used and how it's not used is a little disconcerting to me. One of my favorite right now is the Pennsylvania Director of Health. She, she he, he, he is a transvestite uh, who does not understand basic biology, and yet every week he gets up and lectures to the people in his state about science. Right, you know, science. I believe in science. He says with this really weird sort of pseudo-feminine way of talking. It's bizarre. We live in a bizarre world. When we look around, we see confusion and darkness, immorality, hate, envy, perversion. We pity. we pity people like this person from Pennsylvania. We pity the man laying there on the ground handcuffed. We pity the people who own the shops that are being burned, the vehicles that are being burned. And, and we just get very confused seeing all of this. Right, because what it, if you're anything like me? Right, I was watching last night, and my dad was a policeman for 30 years in Seattle, uh, and I remember WTO all too well. So I always have mixed things go through my mind when I see things like what was on the news last night. One of them, was, you know, is a little bit of fear. We used to worry a lot for my old man, I, and I kid you not, the other thought I had is those guys are going to make so much money in overtime. And, and I, and I was like, wow, that's. I just had that. I just had that thought. That guy's going to buy a nice bike for his kid for Christmas. And, and and this is, I think, what most of us are like, right? We see things that get, that, that get our righteous indignation. We see things and we see how we're going to make a buck out of it. And, and all too often, all we're concerned about is the material world, material gain, material warfare. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. This is what we talked about last week. And he has been. He has been since his triumphant procession following his ascension. So the question is, how does King Jesus enthroned in heaven rule the earth? What does this have to do with Pentecost? The Lord Jesus ascended so that the Holy Spirit descended. That's what happened. Jesus ascended, so the Holy Spirit descended. That was the plan from the beginning. That was was how they were going to work out the actual conquest of this world. The Father sends the Son, says, go and die for them right provide the sacrifice that's going to turn away my wrath jesus goes he does it he comes back with the blood and so the father says okay now it's time to send the spirit to finish the job taking his seat in glory was the impetus of jesus pouring out the holy spirit we have to see that the ascension and pentecost are connected events because of the ascension we have pentecost Jesus is the anointed of the Lord, the Christ. We, in turn, are called Christians because he receives us into fellowship with himself by anointing us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus is fulfilling all of his promises, uniting us to himself, overcoming this world. Now, Jesus' constant companion in his, his earthly life was the Holy Spirit. See, we think that Jesus went around performing miracles, Because he was God. I have come to believe that that is actually not true. It's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon him, and what he did is he lived the perfect Christian life, and and this is a man who does not think of himself, he thinks of the Lord God, and he does everything for the will of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you get into some troubled categories there because he is the God-man, but what does it mean that he humiliated himself and laid down his authority as God, right? Unless the fact that he actually needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill his ministry. Jesus fulfilled his ministry because of the Holy Spirit, and what he wanted to do was demonstrate this is the only way anyone can. There is no other way to live in this world to the glory of God the Father, fulfilling our ministry, fulfilling our calling, fulfilling our purpose, apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that has descended upon us first descended upon him. Jesus' life on earth was the master copy of the religious and spiritual life. Our fellowship with Christ brings with it the sharing of all of Christ's blessings and benefits, and there is no sharing in the benefits of Christ's Unless we share in the person of Christ and there is no sharing in the person apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Piper wrote a little book, it's very good, it's called God is the Gospel. The good news isn't that we get to go to heaven. The good news is that we get God. We receive God. So as I go through here, I'm going to list a bunch of individual benefits. And even that, right, I I feel like (laughs) when you're first hired for a job, the first thing I want to know are all the benefits I'm going to get. Right. Tell me. Tell me a little more about the life insurance policy you're going to throw in that I don't really need. Tell me about my mental, dental, my health. Well, I mean, when I worked at the county, we had mental health days. Those were very important. It's like, I can just call in and say, it's a mental health day, and I don't have to say anything else. I can just stay home. Yes, that's a benefit. So when you start talking about Jesus and the kingdom and benefits, if you're anything like me, just like I saw the overtime the cops we're getting, I start thinking about it like we're having like an HR meeting. Like you're going to tell me all the glorious things you're going to give me for my letting you, know, letting you have me as an employee. But that's not what we're talking about. The, the key point is it's is Jesus. The benefit is Jesus. Now there are things that come along with being with him, but it's him. He's the treasury. He's the benefit. He's what you gain. He's where you... He, it's in him you live and move and have your being. Everything that I'm saying is in him, of him, for him. The treasury of benefits has not been deposited somewhere on earth. It is not in the hands, say, of a pope or ministers or the church or even in the sacraments. It is to be found exclusively in Christ himself. It's not even faith that saves you. It's what your faith is in. it it, it, it's him he he is the one that the spirit unites us to he doesn't just right it's not like the holy spirit descends from heaven and has like a, a pdf of all the cool stuff you get because you're a christian now all the benefits the benefit package the holy spirit descends upon you and draws you into and unites you to jesus christ and, and you're walking in him, you're living in him, you're moving in him, and, and that is what we are talking about here. Now, Christ himself, uh, give, or Christ gives himself and all his benefits to the church through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 13 and 15. Now, list these are things we usually fly through these, especially during Christmas. Uh, some of these verses, we like to talk about them, but let's, let's think about what this actually means. This is what it says in John 16, verse 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, as he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has, he gives to the Son. Everything the Son has, he gives to you. That is what that passage is talking about. Now, you know, we we sometimes narrowly interpret this as if what we attain, what we are given, is simply understanding of just, like, Scripture verses. Right? He'll, oh, he will teach me all the things that Jesus said. And so when Jesus walked on water... And I read this story, I'll understand why he walked on water. And, and then when I read this other story, I'll, I'll, I'll exactly how is it you tear a loaf of bread in order to turn it into enough for 5,000 people. Like we, we, we treat it as if it's like a class where we're all going to sit down and, and the Holy Spirit is going to be up there with the whiteboard and he's going to instruct us with flow charts and how all of this stuff works. But the fullness of God the Father, the fullness is given to the Son. And the Son has all of that fullness, the fullness of God the Father. And He then turns to you and gives it to you. Now, can anyone explain to me what that means? Because I tried all week to figure figure it out, and I can't. The fullness of God the Father is given to the Son. The sun receives it and turns and gives it to you. I could just stop now, but I won't. I, I could not come up with an analogy for that. Right? There's no wordsmithing un, under the sun that will help me explain what that means. I just wanted to put it out there. Jesus holds nothing back. Just as the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, so he also perfects the church under the measure of the stature of his fullness until the church is filled to the fullness of God, Ephesians 1, Are you feeling full? Right, this, is one, this is the, the catchphrase that we came up with for Redeemer Church years ago. The fullness of Christ, fullness of life. There is no full life without a, the fullness of Christ. But let's sit down and let's talk about what that means. The fullness of the triune God is ours. Now, in, in that perspective, how, how, do, how does your, mar- your marriage problem seem? How do your kids' sins seem? Like, how, how does even what's going on right now downtown Seattle, how does that compare? You've been given the fullness of the triune God. All of it. A divine being has given you entirely of himself, all of himself, for eternity. So why are you yelling at the kids, right? Why are you right? What, what, what was it the other day? I was I was upset because yeah, there's this pasta. I don't want my wife. I was like, God, I'm sick of this pasta. Could you buy some? Could you buy some different pasta already, right? And then I go and I sit down at my computer and I'm like fullness of Jesus given. The Lord Jesus ascended and did so so that by the Spirit the Lord Jesus ascended. See, I got caught there. This is what I'm always telling Jared. Nate, don't talk about things that make you emotional unless you're ready. How many problems do we really have? What could we really complain about? What is it that we actually lack? Even now, right? Think of all the things that have been taken away from us. So really, all they've done is just made us like, you know, people who live in China. Like, that's all. That's all. We, just, we didn't even drop, like, to hell or anything. We just, we're now, like, a, one of those lesser free countries. Like, the, the number of things that we've lost, we make it seem like it's everything. Because we have no idea of what we actually possess, John the Baptist told us, he said, he said to his followers, it's written down in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, that Jesus would baptize believers with the Spirit and with fire. John said it. You know what this man is going to do? He's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. In John chapter 16, Jesus said one of the things that I always struggle with. He says, it's better that I go away because unless I do, the Spirit won't come. And I, I think, okay, Fine. It's better to have you. Right? You're here with me. You want some more fish? I'll get you, you want some more butter on your bread. It's nice to have you, Jesus. And she's like, No, no, no. You don't understand. No, I, I don't understand. <laughs> you're correct. You don't need to go anywhere. You're here. Like, why this complicated situation where you go and you're somewhere where I can't see you and then I get a spirit instead? You seem to think that's better. I don't think that's better. Right? Because. It, As I've asked before, how many of us, I think, if surveyed, would say, would you rather have Jesus in person or the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart? I think most of us would say, you know, it'd be kind of cool to sit there and have some fish sticks with Jesus. The first task of the fully glorified and exalted Christ was to pour out his spirit on his church. It's what he wanted to do so bad. It's what he knew we needed him to do. And it's what he promised he would do. I have to go away, because if I don't, the Spirit will not come. So there is, in some way, and where that's what we need, is the Spirit. We need Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father, directing everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the story I would have written. That's probably not the story any of you would have written. But this is the story that was written, because it's best. But we don't like it. Right? I want something I can see. I want something I can hold on to. I want, right, I want material things. Because so often my thoughts, my way of living, are of this world and not that world. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, we covered this last week, and some of the gifts, shockingly, because this is how God works, he gave gifts to men, and the, and, and the gifts were preachers and evangelists and apostles, right? So, <laughs> Jesus goes up to heaven, and sits down at the right hand of the Father, and your gift is Spurgeon. And, I mean, I, I like Spurgeon, don't get me wrong, but you get preachers, like, that's your gift. Like, think about how crazy that is. God is at the right hand of the Father. I'll take Texas. Uh, I remember I had a buddy in high school, and we used to do this game where we had this whole plot where I was going to go into the military and and have a coup in the United States, and he was going to get into the politics, go to the UN, and take that over, and then we were going to divide up the whole world. So we used to actually argue over what we were going to get. And so, right, if if I'm united to the God in heaven who has everything, I will take Texas. Right? I'll take Finland. Finland sounds nice. Wait, I... I get Mark Driscoll. Is that a joke? I get, I get Doug Wilson, as much as I love Doug Wilson. This is what you're going to give us? The gifts are evangelists and preachers? What kind of kingdom is this? Right? I don't want a man who could possibly sin telling me the, the truth of God. I want God himself. I don't, I don't want to have to trust anything. I don't want to have to have faith in anything. I want what I can see, what I can hold on to, what I can put in the bank. Pentecost was the moment Christ fulfilled his promise of sending our helper and our comforter. Our helper and our comforter. So, what does that mean? If you need a helper and you need a comforter, what are the two things Jesus is telling us by calling him that? It means that you need comfort and it means that you need help. Now, most of us are like, no, 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 I think you've confused things, right? I'm here in this church. I'm here as a Christian because I have so much to offer. I don't need a helper. I mean, comfort, okay, yeah, that's true, because sometimes somebody else gets promoted instead of me. Sometimes um, I, I wake up in the morning when I'm pregnant, I, have, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I do, I need comfort, that's true, I need it. But I don't need a helper. I think we got to draw the line here. And this is how most of us are. This is why we'd rather have Jesus. I, we don't want to admit the fact that we need a comforter or a helper. But this is why Jesus ascended to heaven. It's why he ascended to heaven. We think that these things are all disconnected. We think that they're random. But he said, unless I go away, he won't come. And you need a comforter and a helper. And so accepting the fact that we do is is part of the sanctifying process. The older you get, the longer you're a Christian, you realize you do need two things, actually. I need two things. I need a comforter and I need a helper. Because I need comfort because this world is full of darkness and sin and death and brokenness. And I need a helper because, man, every time I try on my own, I can't do it. Now, you grow in wisdom when you grow in understanding that those are the two things that you need. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is when it happened. This is the big moment here. And this is a once-for-all thing that occurred. Okay? In the Old Testament, the Spirit used to come and go in a very confusing way. Did Saul have it or not? We're going to cover that, for example. The spirit's over here, and then he leaves that guy, and he goes over there, and this there, and where does it be and where did he go? And then he comes out of the temple at one point to go back to heaven, and he looks like burning wheels within burning wheels. You know, like, what is this? And then this once for all event occurred. The very reason Jesus ascended back to the Father. Acts chapter two, verse one through four. I can, I can take you to the Old Testament, and the Spirit, because of man's rebellion, because of his brokenness, comes for a while, for a time, and leaves again. He descended upon us and has never left. You have, as long as you've been united to Christ, you have had the Holy Spirit in your life. On the day of Pentecost, Peter understood what of the great messianic blessings had occurred, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as prophesied by the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 28 of his book. So Peter explains this. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. He explains what's going on. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Because he was exalted, he has given you the Spirit. Now, I never realized that before. It's only because he was exalted that we received the Holy Spirit. What needed to happen was Jesus needed to go back into heaven and be glorified, be perfected and received and and worshipped as the highest authority, given the name above every other name. And if that occurred, the Spirit comes. So, so, you know, the Christian life is not this truncated, modern uh, salvation story that we like to tell. Just pray this prayer. It's going to be great right oh well jesus uh is my savior okay good that's a good starting point okay he needed to save you from your sins but what else did he need to do for you well nothing else that's all i've been going to church a long time i know the answer to this well yeah but you also needed him to go back to heaven you needed it because without the holy spirit right it's not just about salvation you needed a spirit not just any spirit the holy spirit well why can anyone tell me why I thought all I needed was salvation. I thought it was about me and it was about God and it was about this relationship that we have and that we we make it right. Why do I need a spirit? Why does the church need it? What's the point? Now, let's go back to the life of Jesus. Let's look at what the Spirit did for Jesus. Let's look how the Spirit and Jesus interacted when he was on this earth living out his ministry, and maybe we learn a little something about why we need him. Because Jesus, Jesus is our Savior, okay? But that is like 2% milk. Uh, uh, it's 2% milk. And, and the, the church is anemic because we mostly just drink 2% milk, okay? We've got <laughs> I don't mind drinking a little milk with my steak, but the thing is you've got to actually get to the point where your steak... Or eating steak you got to get beyond ground beef pap you know that's the milk where they mix with the bread they give it the little babies we need to grow up to more f- enriching food and, and this is what i learned last year uh, i did a sermon about this called christ's constant companion it's amazing how much jesus was able to accomplish because of the holy spirit now the holy spirit first off conceived jesus in the womb of mary descended on christ at his baptism and, and was Christ's constant companion? In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, we read this. All right. This is. The, let me give some framework here. Okay. So Jesus is going to start his ministry. He goes to synagogue. They hand him a scroll. And in those days, you read the scroll, and then you explain the scroll. And the scroll that they hand him is, is from Isaiah. And he explains that the Spirit has now descended upon him, so therefore he's ready to go about his ministry. And and the reason is this, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And doesn't that define Jesus' ministry? Understanding and wisdom and the spirit of the counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It doesn't say he did it because he was God. It says he did it because he had the spirit of God. So do you want to do things like what Jesus does? Right? Do you want to live a life like he lived? Do you want to do the kinds of things he did? Do you want to love unlovely people? Well, I mean, that's like a question all by itself. I assume most of us do, though we really do. And so we think, okay, well, you know what I'm going to do I'm going to I'm going to go and love people now. Oh, I almost feel some love. No, oh, I got nothing. Okay, wisdom. Right, this is. <laughs> Let me sit down and get some wisdom. Like I read, you know, I just I always want to like fall asleep on this and have one of those things where it gets into my brain, I memorize it just by sleeping on it. I watched it Unsolved Mysteries once in the late 80s, and I've tried that a number of times. It doesn't work. But that's what I want, right? I want to be wise. I want to know the Word of God. Hold on. Let me try. Let me try. Just sleep on this thing. Just think. We're we're constantly from within trying to get the wisdom, get the power, get the fear of the Lord. But it says here that Jesus had it because he had the Spirit. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, this is Jesus speaking, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because they were saying that it was from a demon that he was casting out demons. But if it's the spirit of God that's casting out demons, what does that mean? It means that that the kingdom of heaven has descended, the kingdom of heaven has invaded. So did he do it by himself? or did he do it because of the holy spirit. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 and was declared to be the son of god in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our lord. He did not right he did not wake himself up in the tomb. The spirit who is the life giver had to come to him in the tomb and give him life. So what did Jesus do for himself? oh man, that, did, that gets us into all kinds of, right? That gets us into all kinds of trouble when you think about it in that way. What did he do for himself? What did he want to do? All he wanted to do was what the Father wanted him to do, and, and he knew the only way to do it was by the Spirit, and so why are we trying to do it in any other way? That's really what this amounts to. Because we want kingdoms... We want a kingdom in our name that looks like the kingdoms of this world. We want the right hand of power. We want force. We want material gain. And we want to get it using material means. Now, at the heart of all of this, the reason he needed to go back to heaven, the reason we needed the spirit is because there was something that happened to us at the fall that has to be um, undone. Something We lost something. Something was broken. Something was lost, and it has to be returned to us. This is the framework for God's restored, face-to-face relationship with man. Now listen to this. This is from Ezekiel 39, 29. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. But, but I'm sorry. I thought all Jesus needed to do was die on the cross. So that I could see God the Father. Well, I wait, I thought it was all he needed was to be resurrected. And, and then I'm back with God. But but we can't see God's face until the Spirit is poured out upon us. Now that the Spirit has been permanently poured out upon us, we can see the face of God all the time. How? Right? He's, he's in heaven, I thought. I thought he was in heaven. I thought he was a spiritual being. Well, yes, see. yeah, That's why he had to go back. So that he could spe- send the spirit and make you spiritual beings. Where time and space don't exist between your spirit and God's spirit. Do you want to go before the face of God right now? Well, you could open this and the spirit will show you the face of God. You could bow your head and close your eyes and and say abba boom you're you're right there in front of his face just like moses was with him in the tent of meeting see second corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 through 18 i quote this verse all the time but it wasn't until i was doing this sermon and i saw this ezekiel quote that i just read where i came to understand why this is so powerful god wanted to have a face-to-face relationship with us. That's why he made us, and, 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 it, and it broke us. And, and what, what happened is he sent, remember I told you weeks ago that our godliness is Jesus. The point is Jesus. And it's not this truncated, Jesus, my Savior, very simplistic, but, but it's Jesus in his fullness. He, he lived, he, he descended for me. He lived for me. He died for me. He was raised for me. He was raised for me. He sat at the right hand of the Father for me. It's all about him. And not this little tiny, it's not like taking a piece of paper and poking a hole through it and looking at the world, which is what we often do when we explain the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now what you see there is something very interesting. Another thing, I'm going to tell you, I told my wife three days ago, I was like, I'm going to try to figure out what this means. I'm probably not going to be able to do it, because three days is not enough time. But when, when Jesus went back to heaven, he received the Spirit again in fullness and I'm like, why does God have to make this so complicated? Like, I thought when he was baptized, he received the Spirit. And you go, and you look, and you're like, oh, yeah, he did. Okay, so then he goes into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and then he receives the Spirit again. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, life, a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So he and the Spirit are so unified that you literally, you can make distinctions, but it's really difficult because he and the Spirit are one now. The Spirit comes and dwells with us, and so Jesus dwells with us. Uh, we, we pray in the Spirit, and so we're praying in Jesus, and, and, and so there's this unity between the two that cannot be separated, and what it demonstrates is that this is what's going to happen to every one of us. It says, moving us from glory to glory, and so have we received the Holy Spirit? Yes. But once we go down into the ground and the day of resurrection comes, we're going to rise up, and apparently when we go into heaven, just like Jesus, we're going to receive the Spirit again in its absolute fullness and perfection. Now, does that fill anyone with hope? Right? Because you know what I would like to do, my goodness, is just walk in the Spirit and not walk in any other way. Right? And so there will, there will, there will come a time where I'm even more united to him than I am now where every, every impediment to walking in the Spirit 24-7 will be taken away. I will have no hunger. I will have no physical desires. There will be nothing for me to see that will draw me away. There will be no evil in me left. And I will just walk by the Spirit. Jesus ascended into heaven and received the Spirit again in its absolute fullness, which is why he could send it to us. I seriously considered making this a series I do not have enough time. If this is the only thing I ever preach about ever again, I would not have enough time to tell you about it. I cut this down three thousand words. I'm feeling right. This is this is us in our flesh. We want more. We want to understand more. We want to mature faster. We want less sin, less worldliness. We want more, we want more, we want more, and there is just a limit to what we, what we can do in ourselves. I need help. And I turn to the Word of God, and I have received a helper. We look at the, at the world, and we think, the kingdoms of this world are just kicking our tail right now. And I need comfort. And lo, I have a comforter. The first thing that the Spirit accomplishes in us is unity. Real unity. And and, and this is what I'm talking this whole kingdom is spiritual. Right? I, I like it when I go to Presbytery meetings and, and you got you got the Polish guys and the Ukrainian guys and the American guys and, and they're like you look and you're like, besides beards, nothing seems to put these guys together. Like, one guy's wearing, like, a purple shirt in this very strange collar that I, like, some continental reform collar, and then the other guys look like Lutherans, and then these guys look like Catholic priests, and then the American guys just look like businessmen, right? And so you're looking around, you're like, well, man, these guys, there's no unity here, and there's there's some people of varying shades of color, and, and this is the same with the church in the whole world. What You look at the church, right, if we went to a church in Bangladesh right now, we went to a church in... South Africa, be like, what is it that unites all these people? It's not how they're talking, right? It's not the, the language they're using. It's clearly not the dress. It's clearly not the music. Sorry, people want it to be the music. But that is, is less likely to unite us than the clothes. We want this, right? We want, what is it? Well, it's a spiritual kingdom. The thing that unites us is the spirit, uh, right, I, And this is the thing about the Christian life. One of them is that this astounding reality is that the people that will associate with me. I can't believe the quality of people who, who will associate with me. And there's no other reason but that the Spirit has brought them into my life and united us together. And so why is it that we try to form unity around anything else? Nothing else will work. The clothes won't work. I'm telling you, the music will not work. We've tried that. It doesn't work. Right? The political parties, that that can't unite us. Ethnicity, not going to happen. The only thing that can unite us is the Holy Spirit. That is what he does. And he unites you to the Father. He unites you to the Son. And he unites you to one another. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so if we have the spirit, their unity becomes our unity because we have him. We have the father because we have him. We have the son. Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 through 22. So then you are so Now, if, you, if I walked over to the wall in my house, to the drywall, it's like, you know, drywall, does, how does it feel to be like having this roof on top of you? Right? Yeah, man, the wall would be like, dude, it's heavy. He's a heavy guy up there. And I, and I have this pain in my side, and it's the nail that they stuck in me so that I wouldn't fall off of this wall. And then what they did is they put paint all over the outside of me. So I just, right? And I'd rather be blue, but I'm white. And uh, then you're like, oh, okay, well, that sounds like a lot of complaining. But this is a really nice-looking room, you know, wall. And what would you be without the roof, right? Because then the rain would come, and you would be nothing. You would disintegrate. And, And I understand that that nail hurts, but that's the only thing holding you up. And this is what it's like to be the household of God, right? I, I love you, I, but I can largely be a nail in your side. I love all of you, but sometimes you guys are like holding up a roof, right? Just hold it up. Oh my God, my arms are so tired. I did this one time. I was doing drywall, and I had to hold the piece up so that one of the brown boys could nail it. And it was like I, I was like, "Do you guys do this all day?" It's like I want to go back to my office with Steve. This is insane. And I was like, how do you think that poor Wallfield's doing it nonstop? Does he ever complain? And this is a point that um, Jesus, or the, the Lord makes in, in the scriptures about the son. Does the son ever get tired of, run, right? Think of the son has one job, and he just runs in a circle. And does he ever complain about it? Right, so, so your job in the church maybe isn't as glamorous uh, or as, as seemingly necessary as you think it is, but what would the house be without the drywall and the nails and the paint and the roof and the shingles? And this shabby-looking house is where the Lord Jesus and his Father come by the Holy Spirit to dwell, to live. Is there anything else in your life that makes you important like that does? Is there any other identity, any other reality in your life that is as glorious as humbling, and as meaningful as the fact that we are all here together making the household of God. Now, look, look around, everyone. Look around at one another. Look around. This is not, We're not Gnostics. We're going to look around. That, this is the household of God. Now, does he seem quite as annoying, that guy over there, as you thought? That voice, is it great on you as much as it did before service began? This is where God dwells, the dwelling place of the triune God. And you're a part of that, and you don't deserve to be. And these people will associate with you, and the only reason they'll do it is because the Holy Spirit has made them able to love unlovely people. Now, I'm going to go through this because, again, where do, you, where do you start and end with this? But here are some things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Now that the Lord is here dwelling amongst us, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How come that has never been our evangelistic plan? I've I've been in the church a while now, and I've heard all kinds of things, but how come I've never heard this plan? Walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it grew. Why is it that we're always trying to grow it? Why are, why are we perhaps standing in the way of the only one who can? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Are we actually getting on our knees and thanking God that he saved so-and-so over there? Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saving her. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for th- saving this family. And, and they're continuing to walk in the Lord. And, and I'm being very generic here. I could be very specific. When, when's the last time we actually got on, the, on our knees and thanked the Lord God for the Nielsens, for the Evies, for the Hewards? And not just thank them for being in our lives, but actually thanked God for saving them. Now, why is it that we, like, we drink such thin milk, it's like it's water. And, and I'm, put, I, I'm not pointing the finger. I, I'll have my kids testify. When's the last time we actually thanked God for saving someone? Right? But we will sit at the table and we'll talk about you guys. We're not the only ones, right? Now, why are we this way? Well, because we want a kingdom like the ones of this world. We want unity formed in our image. Somewhere out there are Christians I can love, I'm sure. But I've got these folks. I, I don't really say that. that was just, I was just—I was speaking hyperbolically. Romans chapter eight verse eleven: If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Okay. Now, how did Jesus fight? How did he fight? It is not by might or violence that Christ Jesus rules his kingdom. It didn't in his humiliation, and it isn't in his exaltation how he does things. His entire prophetic, priestly, kingly activity he continues to carry on in a spiritual way, for his place is in heaven. He fights with spiritual weapons. He he sends the spirit to indwell actual flesh, to go out and conquer actual families, actual neighborhoods, actual communities, actual nations. He is the grace of king and of might, but in both he leads out his brigades through the Holy Spirit. He said, my my kingdom is not of this world, and it doesn't fight like the kingdoms of this world. There's another confusing thing that Jesus says about the Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now the Spirit goes out and what does he do? How does he fight? How does he conquer? Through conviction of sin. Through righteousness. Through judgment. The Holy Spirit does not go downtown and throw bricks. The Holy Spirit does not kneel down on your throat until you can't breathe. The Holy Spirit does not go on Twitter. The Holy Spirit goes out and convicts you of sin and righteous. This is how he's overcoming the world. And it's not just us. It's how he's overcoming the world out there. The whole world. It's a spiritual kingdom, a king that rules through the Spirit, and he's overcoming this world by the Spirit. There is no other way. There is no other way. And so he went back to heaven so that he could send us the only way, the only way that we could have find comfort in this world, that we could find help in this world, that we could overcome this world. So, how do we fight? Right? You guys want to fight, right? How many people like me are watching what's going on and you are ready? Right? You're going to paint half your face blue. And you are, you're ready, like, give me freedom or give me death, baby. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all pre- perseverance making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, did he say take up bricks? Did he say who's running for the Supreme Court? Does he talk about any of that? Now, again, I'm sorry, I'm for running all the plays. We could have a strategy meeting elsewhere. The problem is, I don't even want to talk about that, and if we talk about this. What he lists here is not the reins of power in this world. In fact, almost all of them are defensive. And what is prayer? (laughs) It's It's the most... I mean, what is that? What other kingdom overcomes the world by prayer? You kneel down and you talk to someone you can't see. And you expect him to do the things you can't do yourself. And you put on all these defensive pieces of armor, and the only offensive one you have is the word of God. Spurgeon said, we need this sword, this sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It was wrought, it it has wrought such wonders that we prefer it to all others. No other will match the enemy's weapon. If we fight the devil with human reason, the first time our wooden sword comes in contact with a satanic temptation, it will be cut to pieces. If you do not wield a true Jerusalem blade, you are in grave peril. Your weapon will break off at the hilt, and where will you be? Standing defenseless with nothing but the handle of a broken sword in your hand, you will be the object of your adversary's ridicule. Now, how often have you gone... Right. Yeah, I'm going to go hammer and tongs, baby. I'm going to go after this. And, and you're like, wow, that sword snapped real fast. And now I'm, I'm just this guy standing here with a hilt. And every time we try to fight in any other way, but by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that is what happens to us. Our own reason, our own strength, our own authority, our own money, our own resources, our own fill in the blank. All of them are wooden swords, Galatians chapter 3 says, Having begun in the Spirit, are we going to finish by the flesh? And and I'll be honest, I've begun by the Spirit, and generally I'm trying to finish by the flesh. Generally, if you want to see me midweek, I'm out there somewhere with a hilt of a wooden sword. And I'm like, oh man, this didn't work again. Okay, 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 okay. You know, maybe I shouldn't try. Maybe I should let him try. Maybe I should pray and let him fight for me. I I occasionally have that sort of moment of (laughs) clarity. And isn't it different when we do? are like, that's not a wooden sword. Look at that. He didn't want us to finish in the flesh. He didn't want us to be alone. He didn't want us to be without comfort. He didn't want us to be without the help he knew we needed. And so he said, listen, my work here is done. And you've got to finish it. All power on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And because you're my army, because you're my conquering, advancing army, you're going to need a treasure house of supplies. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to heaven, and I'm going to send you the Spirit, and by the Spirit you will overcome this world the same way that I did. If you have any doubts about what it looks like here by the Spirit, I've left you a manual. This is how we overcome the world. There is no other way, and that is why on Pentecost, the Spirit descended upon the church. And, and don't we need it again? Aren't we tired? Aren't, aren't we lacking in comfort and strength and wisdom? And we are, right, The pile of wooden hilts is getting large, right? Huge. Let's stop all of that. And let's go to the only one who can do anything. And let us work, let him Right? Not stand in his way. Don't, don't resist the Spirit. Let, let the one who can work in our lives the only way that he can. The only way that he ever will. And that is through the Holy Spirit. Let us cry out to God. Let us thank him for one another. Let us thank him for the Lord Jesus. Let us thank him for the, <laughs> the embarrassment of riches that are the treasury of Jesus. And let us pursue Jesus. And let us do it by the Spirit. And let us stop with the wooden swords. Get out of his way. Stop resisting him. And what, what do you, th- uh, seriously, I, we're not going to end this on a downer. What is Jesus going to do? What does he do when we repent and we fall on our face before him and say, I don't want to try anymore. I'm, all I want you to do is to fix me, change me, work through me? What does he do? Every time. In, in the history of the church, what what is the only way the church has advanced? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us out of the world, out of the darkness and sin and death. And we pray, God, that as we go from here, we are so tempted to take up the things of this world, to fight um, for our own kingdoms in, in a spirit of envy, in a spirit of avarice, in a spirit of apathy, Lord God, we are so often overcome by, by self. And, and we pray, God, that you would teach us to cry out to you, that you would teach us to lay down our lives, that you would teach us to take up your cross, and that we would cry out to heaven for the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to fulfill our ministry by the Spirit, and to be vessels, Lord, of mercy and goodness and love, that we live, streams of living water would flow from our heart as you promised. Once we receive the Spirit, you said streams of living water will flow from you and we pray god that we forgive us for sullying that water we pray that it would flow from us clear and pure and good and to your glory and amen